My first girlfriend, <clears throat> had my first girlfriend in middle school, just entering middle school. And at that point, middle school was sixth grade, so I was, I was feeling pretty good about myself. Uh, I, I, I formalized this relationship with this girl uh, the old-fashioned way. I know you don't know about this, but we used to take paper and write questions like, do you like me? Fold it up and then give it to her. And then her sister came back and delivered the letter back and she said, yes. And so I said, great, you want to be my girlfriend? I folded it up, sent it back. Uh, and she said, she said, yes. She said, yes. But just as quickly as that relationship started, it, it got rocky. Because I wrote her a slightly longer letter expressing my heartfelt love for her. I'm pretty sure there was some poetry in there, you know, manly things. And so I said something like, Dear Hazel, that was her name. That's the only thing I remember about her. Dear Hazel, I have great affection for you. You and I were clearly meant to be. And so I long to see you you know, wherever I said, I only see you again. I lived in an apartment. She lived a couple of houses down. She wrote me back, gave it to her sister, she wrote me back, wrote this great response. I don't remember what it was, but I remember one thing. At the beginning of her letter, she wrote, Dear Robeck. <laughs> I mean, I know my name is complicated, but Robeck? Like, my, I, put, I put my name sincerely and I put my name down at the bottom of the last note. And she wrote, Dear Robeck, that's just lazy. So I compiled another letter. Dear Hazel, I don't think this is working out. <laughs> Let's break up. <laughs> that was it. That was it. Our relationship lasted all of a day because I was just so flabbergasted that she could not spell my name right, even though I put my name on the first letter. And then I realized relationships are not at all like they are in the movies. Like I expected this to be, I mean, I thought this was the one we were gonna get married and have kids and a dog and all that. I expected this all to just be the happily ever after. I mean, I expected this to look like, uh, you know, like the princess bride where I swoop in and I save her life and she's just, you know, everything works out well. Or like Aladdin where the kid from the hood tries to date an upper class girl. And that goes horribly until he finds his magical friend who makes him look like he's from the you know, upper class. Anyway, they live happily ever after. The movies are super unrealistic. Unrealistic. It's not for real, not real life. Except for one, maybe two. There's one movie that I really like, specifically for its introduction. The movie starts by showing these two young kids playing around together, they have a shared interest. Eventually, they get close, to, close enough to another to, to marry. And you show them having a life together, having this aspiration to go to a certain place, and then she dies. I love that movie. I'm like, that's life right there. That's life. It reminds me of another movie where and this one you'll probably know too. Another movie where the guy and the girl have this whole tumultuous relationship uh, and you realize that you're, you're seeing the story unfold 
as he's beside her in the hospital bed. She's losing her, her memory, and so uh, the movie ends with both of them dying. Spoiler alert. But I didn't tell you which movie. I don't know. The movie ends with both of them dying. I'm like, that's love, right? That's life. That's it. Faithful commitment to someone over a long course of time, sharing life together and eventually dying together. That's my hope for Kristen and I. Life and then death. I go first. The problem is, though, for most of us, you are influenced by something. When it comes to the way that you view relationships, you're influenced by something. And it probably has a, a, a lot of mixing components. You might be uh, influenced by what you see on TikTok, uh, you know, by re hashtag relationship advice or relationship goals. It might be a lot from movies that you've seen. It might be from the, the kind of narrative that you and your friends have at school. It's something that's there. No one ever says it, but it's the expectation of how things are supposed to work. You know, there's certain expectations about how fast in the relationship you're supposed to go with somebody in terms of the physical affection. And there's a lot of competing narratives. Remember, we talked about this last week, competing narratives that define how you think about relationships. And yet again, we have to say, okay, well, what does God tell us to think about these things? How does God want us to uh, understand relationships? If your parents allow you to date or even think about dating in the future, how do, how do, how do we do this right so that we don't make a shipwreck of ourselves and of the other people? I mean, I've been in a lot of stupid relationships in my life, and at the end of these relationships, I've always walked away feeling like that was the worst thing in my life. Like, I, it hurt so bad to break up, hurt so bad to go through this relationship, because we always fought, and we had these issues. I, I hated my relationship life, till Kristen. But everything leading up to that was, it, was, a, was kind of an exploration in foolishness. So this message comes from a place of what, a lot of what I've learned personally from my own stupid mistakes, but mostly, more importantly, what scripture has to say for us. And you shouldn't be too surprised because really uh, the goals that you should have are quite simple. Your relationship goals should echo marital roles. Simple as that. Your relationship goals should echo marital roles. And we'll unpack what that means in this whole sermon, but it's really as easy as that. If you follow the trajectory of how Scripture tells you to think about male-female relationships, which, again, are the only appropriate kinds, you're going to do far better than what I did. You may not have to break up with your girlfriend who misspells your name. You'll be able to forgive and to work things out, and things will be far better for you. This is the template that God has given us to help you make your life better. God is so good, guys. You know, honestly, God gives you information. You may think to yourself, okay, I'm not really in the dating scene right now, but no, you need to be ready. And I'll make my case as to why. You need to be ready for this, even if you're currently not on the market. If you are, if you are dating someone, this is all the more important for you because you need to check your relationship. Say, okay, am I really fitting in these components? You need to be ready sooner than later, okay? You need to be ready sooner than later. Your relationship goals should echo your marital roles. And to do that, we're going to look at Ephesians 5. This is the classic text. We're going to look at verses 22 through 33. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Get your Bibles out. Turn them on. I want you to follow with me. I don't have them on the screen. It's super important that you go along with me. I don't want, to, I don't want you to trust me so much that you don't look at the Bible with me. We're going to look at the classic text for how God designs male-female relationships to work, specifically how husbands and wives are to interact. This is the classic text. You're going to go through this text, God willing, in your premarital counseling. So we're going to get a sneak peek now as to what that's supposed to look like. Ephesians 5, 22, we're going to look at the first three verses and then look at verse 33. Ephesians 5, 22. We're going to start with the ladies, okay? Ladies, start working on some goals here. Here we go. Wives. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Skip on down to verse 33. The second part of verse 33 says this, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, tough task, tall order. Ladies, I know already you're feeling a little bit of like, oh, here we go again, the submission conversation. Yes, yes it is. But I want you to notice some, some features here. Uh, Paul is directing women specifically wives. Okay, so this is, not, uh, this is not women in general submitting to men in general, although there's some application to there. He's saying specifically wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Okay, and, and notice here it's as to the Lord. In other words, your submission to your husband eventually is an act of worship to King Jesus first. Her submission to Jesus means she submits to Jesus' leadership. In this case, it's the husband. It says the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. So Paul in verse 23 is helping you to see that God has designed relationships to mimic or to picture the church and Christ relationship. Paul's gonna make that more explicit in a few verses. Verse 24, as the church submits to Christ. Now think about this. How does the church submit to Christ? Do we get to determine what Bible we wanna preach from? Do we get to determine, uh, you know, what we're, what, how we're going to obey Christ? No. God is very specific. And in fact, the church does have some choices, right? We choose this kind of amplification. We choose the color of the carpet. We chose the seats we get to sit on. It's not like this is, uh, this is tyranny. This is a matter of saying, look, uh, as the church submits to Christ, deferring to him, pleasing him, wanting to do what, what Christ wants, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in, in everything, in everything. It is, this is a whole life situation here. And in verse 33, when he talks to the gals, he says, let the wife see that she respects her husband. So it's not just that Paul wants the wife to submit to her husband and do it begrudgingly, like, okay, I guess I gotta do this because God tells me to. No, it's, a, it's also in the manner. She respects his leadership. She's following him willingly as an act of worship to Christ himself. When I perused the TikTok hashtag relationship goals and relationship advice and relationship advice 101, I looked at all of them. Interestingly enough, I did not find this there. <laughs> no one said, hey, girls, submit to your husband. Nothing like that. So this is totally countercultural, but I want to point out something to you that's, uh, that's fascinating. Because this is so countercultural, it makes it all the more uh, able to see, like, oh, this is something different. This is something God prescribes for the husband-wife relationship. Well, how does that apply to me right now, Pastor Rod? I'm just a high school girl. I'm just a high school guy. What do I do with this? Glad you asked. Your goals need to echo the marital roles. Point number one for the gal and guy, aim to find or be a woman who practices godly submission. Okay, aim to find or be a woman who practices godly submission. Fellas, if you want to write it down specifically for you, aim to find. Ladies, if you want to write it down just for you, aim to be. Okay, see what I did there? Magic. Just for you guys. Two for one. In, in middle school, uh, around the same time that I broke up my first girlfriend, uh, I got invited to a, a, a house party. I know house parties today. I know what you're thinking. This is not like Ladera Ranch, Newport Beach, Beach. This is, no, this is the hood. So I got invited to a house party where like it's a small house. And, and the way that we did this back where I came from, you, you would do the house party like in the front yard or the backyard, wherever you had the most space. You know, and it was still pretty small by 
this area's standards. Uh, well, I got invited to this party, and it was a dance. So they, they, they was going to have a DJ, and so I thought, okay, this sounds fun. I want to go to this. Uh, but there was a problem. I didn't know how to dance. I, I, just, I, I did it. At that point, I don't even know if, if, I, if I knew like, what my left and right foot were supposed to do when you dance. I, just, I, I didn't know. So my, my plan was I would get dressed super nice, and I would try to stand in the corner so that no one could see me. And maybe, you know, like at the right moment, I just jump out and be like, what's happening, guys? You know, and, and then try to avoid the dance part. Well, the night comes and uh, I go to this house and, and the, the music is bumping and it's like, it's like Latin music. So da, 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 you know, it's like, and I'm like, I'm digging it. I'm digging it. But I, again, I can't dance. So I, I, I kind of try to play it cool and just sit to the side and talk to people. And I'm holding the, you know, the, the water in my hands. Let's try to keep my hands busy because we didn't have cell phones like you do today. You can look on your phone and pretend you're busy. I just had to hold a bottle of water and try not to look dumb. So I'm standing there, and, and then a guy calls me out. He's like, hey, 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 Rod, you haven't, come on, come over here and dance with us. And I'm like, oh, man, but got my, my, my water, though. <laughs> Stupid, right? So he didn't, he, didn't, he didn't work, but the girls in that same dance circle were like, oh, come on, Rod, come over here and join us. And I'm like, oh. and I had to admit, I don't know how to dance. And the girl's like, don't worry, we'll teach you. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. So I walk in the circle, you know, and, and this is a moment of truth, right? This is middle school. Like, this is going to determine the rest of my career. Like, people are going to judge me on this. If I fail, it's forever. If I don't, I'll be a legend. Then I roll the dice, right? So I walk up to the circle, and the girls start trying to tutor me, right? They're like, okay, doing the thing. You know, wanna... <laughs> don't judge me. I had to be willing to practice looking like an idiot in order to potentially get some glory out of this. So I, I tried, right? I, I gave it my best shot. And by the time the night was over, I danced every song. I was in love. Like, this is amazing. I was, you know, <laughs> just dancing left and right. It was, it was awesome. It was awesome. I had one of the best nights of my life. Uh, I, I thank them for giving me a love for dancing. Um, don't dance too much today. But I had to be willing to practice the very thing that I knew could be dangerous for me because I could, be, I could be ruin my life, ruin my social life. I had to be willing to practice it awkwardly. Look, ladies and young men, you have to be willing to practice some of these marital roles now if you want to do them well later. You, you, don't, you don't just show up to, a, to be a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband and wife and suddenly, hey, you're an amazing husband or boyfriend. You're an amazing girlfriend or wife. No, there's practice involved and there's qualities that make you a suitable girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife. Let's talk about this girl. Aim to find or be a woman who practices godly submission. What does she look like? What does she look like? Well, uh, let's talk about it like this. If your relationship goals are meant to echo your marital roles, first, she submits to Jesus first and foremost. Easy. What does she look like? She submits first and foremost to Jesus. It's easy. Verse 22. Wives, submit to your own, hus own husbands as to the Lord. Her commitment is first and foremost to Jesus. That is her master. He is the one who saved her. He is the one that she ultimately looks to. She submits to him first and foremost. That's what godly submission looks like. Young men, this should be attractive to you. Young ladies, this should be your practice. In fact, this is the assumption Paul has when he's talking to these people. Husband, you have your directions coming soon, but girls, love the Lord. You're submitting to the Lord Jesus. So follow his leadership. Listen to his word. Seek his counsel and his support and his strength. There's a verse uh, in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4 says this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4, talking to the ladies, he says, let your adorning, your beautifying, your, your, your getup, let your beautifying be the hidden person of the heart with, and here's the clothes that she's to adorn herself with, 
with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me here. I'm not saying girls shouldn't talk. Uh, I'm not, I don't think Peter's saying girls should just kind of be out of the way, seen but not heard. That's not the case here. In fact, what Peter is doing is something very different. He's highlighting the strength of a godly woman. He's saying, okay, godly women who submit to King Jesus first are not first and foremost concerned with their outward appearance. Nothing wrong with looking beautiful, right? Nothing wrong with being cute. But he's saying the godly woman is first and foremost concerned with the inner person, the real person, the one who will ultimately give an account to King Jesus. She's thinking about what do I look like on the inside? Do I bear the marks of godliness? Peter says, let your adorning, your beautifying be the hidden person of the heart with, and this is what she's supposed to wear, imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Gentle. She's humble. She's humble. She's sensitive to the needs of others. But that quiet spirit part sometimes puts us off, right? Like, oh, she's not supposed to talk. That's not what's happening here. That quiet spirit is like a girl or a woman who's calm under pressure. When things get difficult, she's not tumultuous on the inside. Her spirit is quiet because it is confident in her Lord. Quiet confidence. She is self-controlled, self-contained. Her emotions don't hold sway over her. Rather, because she trusts her Lord, she can be resilient even under times of pressure. That's why a couple verses later, Peter says, act like Sarah, who does good and does not fear anything that is frightening. This girl, as she submits to Jesus, first and foremost, is strong in her faith. She's not tossed here and there, which might mean this, young lady. You might make a decision because of your love and submission to Christ. Look, I'm not ready to date in high school. I may not be willing to date any young man in high school because my commitment to Christ takes a different level of precedence. I may want to spend more time with Jesus. Perfectly fine. Perfectly fine. And commendable. But the opposite could also be true. I love Jesus and I want to date and my parents let me. Fantastic. Make sure your submission starts first and foremost with King Jesus. Submit to him first, but second... Submit to your father. A godly woman who is practicing godly submission, she submits to her father's leadership. You might notice in verse 23, it says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Um, Husbands are usually also fathers, and he leads the family. That's what his goal is. That's what his job is. Ephesians 6, Colossians 3, God calls this man to task and says, you're to lead the family. So what that means for you, young lady, and young men, as you're listening in on this conversation, that your dad is the one who leads your family. Godly young women honor their father's leadership, which means you don't gossip about his failures to others. You don't try to undermine his leadership by stirring up dissension between him and mom. And you don't disregard his rules. You seek to honor his rules. You seek to be, uh, especially if it's about dating, you seek to love and respect his rules. And young men, let me tell you this. You are wise to win the father of the daughter you seek to to date or to marry. You should be able to interact with him if you care at all about interacting with his daughter. That's for free. That's for you. Young lady, you should also ask your dad. As I'm saying, you should submit to Jesus' leadership. You should submit to, to your father's leadership. You should ask your dad, do you want me to date in high school? Let's at least have the conversation. Uh, because at some point, some young man's going to show an interest in you and you should be ready to have a response. Oh, my dad doesn't want me to date. Or yes, he, he's okay with that, but I don't want to date you. No, thanks. Whatever it is, <laughs> you need to be ready to respond to that. 
She submits to Jesus. She submits to her father. The third category is submission to other godly leadership. She submits to other godly leadership. That can include anybody and really anything, uh, anyone that's in a position of authority, police officers, pastors, teachers, small group leaders, that kind of thing. Godly authority. She recognizes that. She respects that. And she puts herself willingly underneath the tutelage of God's authority. Willingly does that. She isn't mad that the authorities in her life uh, disappoint her or frustrate her. She's grateful that God puts people around her to care for her. Young men, this is the kind of woman you should be looking for. A young woman who submits to Jesus, submits to her father, and submits to other godly leadership. That's the kind of girl you should be looking for. Aim to find her. Aim to find her. She's a rarity. Scripture says a man who finds a wife finds a good thing. A good godly woman is a rarity. If you know one in this room, she's precious in God's sight. Young ladies, let me add one more to this. Uh, Let's let the young man initiate. Let him practice initiating with you, okay? As you submit, as you submit to Jesus, your father, and the other authorities, let the young men who are trying to practice godly leadership, let him practice initiating with you. Therefore, let him ask you out on a date. Don't ask him. Uh, let him plan the event that you guys do. Don't, don't necessarily strong arm him into doing what you want to do. Uh, let him lead the prayer for dinner or for lunch, whatever you guys do. If he goes to have coffee, like, you let him lead the prayer for those things. You are not bound by scripture to submit to a young man who is not your husband, but you would be wise to let him practice that with you. You willingly give him the authority and the, the, the opportunity to practice flexing his godly muscles, which this is what you want, right? You want a young man who can, who can lead and lead well. Okay, ladies, that was tough. Young men, that's what you should be looking for. Uh, and that might, that might hit you kind of hard, young ladies, but let me tell you this. What we're about to read for the guys is far harder you guys ready for this? Okay. Ephesians 5, 25. This is more challenging, more difficult. I promise you. Here we go. Young men, prepare. Put your seatbelts on. Here we go. Husbands, young men, this is for you. Love your wives. If he stopped there, we'd be okay. But he didn't. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Okay, bar is set, impossibly high now. Love your wives as Christ loved the church. Your love for her should look exactly like Jesus' love for the bride. And he goes on to explain. He gave himself up for her. Paul points to the fact that Jesus loved the bride so much that he was willing to pour out his own life. And not just in a a passive way where he jumps in front of a train. Jesus actively dies on behalf of the bride, the church. He gets Hung upon a cross, naked, bloody, bruised. He's flagellated by whips and cords. His body literally stripped down to the flesh and bone, the, 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 the blood vessels, everything just falling off his body. That's the kind of love he says, that what Jesus did, you do that too for your wife. Verse 26, he gave himself up for her that, for the purpose of, that Jesus might sanctify her, to redemptively set her up to do well, to grow in holiness having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Jesus washes his bride by giving her the gospel. She responds to the gospel. She's born again, and now she's cleansed. She's forgiven of her sin, verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, 
This is interesting because Jesus essentially says, I'm going to die for the church, I'm going to die for the bride in order to redeem the bride, make her more like Christ, in order to present herself to me in the long run. She's going to be presented to me in glory, in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. There's God's will for the church. He wants you and I to be holy, our thoughts holy, our, our, our words holy, no blemish, no spot, no wrinkle. He wants a perfect, pure bride. Verse 28, in the same way, husbands, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Jesus says to the young man, he says, look, your love for this woman is so obvious and so natural, it's like you taking care of your own body. When you brush your teeth because your breast stinks, you're taking care of your body. You're showing love to your body. When you feed your belly because you're hungry, you're showing love to your body. He says that the kind of love that a husband has for a wife is so obvious and natural, it should escape no one's notice. When you love your wife, you love yourself. It kind of reminded me of this experience I had. Uh, when I went to Javier's restaurant years ago, it was the first time I'd ever been to this place, and it was the first time I came across something in a bathroom I'd never seen before. Being from the hood, when I went to the bathroom, like, you could just expect a whole lot of things in there that you should not see. Like, why is that on the roof? Like, that shouldn't be there. What's that in the sink? I'm going to use this other sink instead. There's stuff in there that you would not want to see. But this time when I walked in, I was startled because there was a person standing at the sink. But he wasn't washing his hands. He was just standing there with his arms neatly folded, just kind of, hello, sir, welcome to the bathroom. How may I help you with anything? <laughs> no, nah, man, I got this. I'm, I'm going to go do Super thrown off by that. First time I noticed that, it was, it was weird. Uh, so I, I'm trying to get to my, my station, wherever I went. And as I'm walking there, I, I noticed something about the, 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 the bathroom that I don't think I've ever noticed before. I'm like, this place is just immaculate. It's spotless. Like, there's no fingerprints on the, on the sink. Like, the, the urinal is just beautiful. It's the most beautiful urinal I've ever seen. <laughs> the urinal cake is fresh and it's fragrant. Feels good, smells good. Like, it was just the most luxurious experience I've ever had in the bathroom. And then it dawned on me, as I'm walking back to the sink to wash my hands, this man, this bathroom attendant, is fully responsible for this domain. He's taking care of every detail down to the fingerprints on the faucet. Like, there was no fingerprints on the faucet. And then I went to go wash my hands, and this is the, you know, I don't know if they had the, the one where you put it in and it does it automatically. I'm pretty sure he just did the faucet for me. How's the temperature, sir? <laughs> Thank you's good, you know. And then when I was done, he gave me a towel. He said, do you need anything else? There's cologne on the thing. There's like cookies for snacks and a protein bar if you're healthier. Uh, he just had every a hair product, a blow dryer. I mean, just anything you could possibly need in that bathroom, he had it. The natural and obvious care for that bathroom was left in the hands, the stewardly hands of the bathroom attendant. This man, for his job, and of course, you know, he's looking for tips. This man naturally and obviously cared for the bathroom, which is his domain. Husbands ought to have at least as much thoughtful concern for their wives. Young men, do you feel prepared to love a woman with that kind of specificity and detail? That kind of natural and obvious care and concern for her? That's what God calls us to. Verse 30 tells us we, he does this because we are members of his body. Jesus cares for us with this kind of attention and detail because we are part of his collected body, the church. Verse 33, Paul reiterates, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself. 
Young men, one of the goals, and young ladies, this is all for you, the goal that you should have. Again, remember, your relationship goals should echo marital roles. Point number two, you ought to aim, excuse me, aim to find or be a man who practices Christ-like character. Aim to find or be a man who practices Christ-like character. Some of the godliest people I know. <laughs> I was asking uh, one of y'all, I, asked you, I texted you, I said, hey, uh, tell me what are girls attracted to today in a guy? Apparently muscles are still a thing. Um, at least, you know, a good build, I think, is what she said. Um, there's other qualities, other qualities. But the, the thing that stuck out to me is, like, the, the whole physical attractiveness thing is still an issue, I guess. People are still into, you know, physical attraction. Um, and that's fine, that's fine. God made us to be creatures like that. Uh, and nerdy cute. Was that, was that, I don't know if I got that right. Nerdy cute. Cute nerd. That was another, I don't know what that means. You know who you are. But here's, here's, here's the observation. Some of the godliest people I know do not have the biggest muscles or the most attractive hair. I'm not going to call any names out. <laughs> but suffice it to say that some of the godliest people don't have some of those qualities. And, and you know, that's honestly fine. That's honestly fine. Because here's the thing. We, what is most attractive to a godly woman is a godly man. Sisters, Amen. Okay, a couple of you. Not everyone believes that. Okay. Muscles are nice. Physical, physicality is nice. But what the thing is that you should be striving for, young man, is godly manhood. Okay, godly manhood. See, the thing is, this is what's missing in most people, period, but especially so for people your age. What is a guy who practices Christ-like character then look like? Well, uh, I have three things, three things that he looks like. You can identify him by, first of all, looking at this. He works hard at loving people well. He works hard at loving people well. How do you identify a man who practices Christ-like character? He works hard at loving people well. This is what Paul sets up. He says, you're to love your wife, you're to love the girl like Jesus loves the church. That doesn't come from nowhere. You don't suddenly wake up one morning and be like, man, I'm the most loving dude on the planet. Like you, you just, you got to practice these things and that's going to show in the way that you love other people. Young ladies, when you look at this young man, listen to him and see how he, or, and view him, see how he treats his mom and dad. First of all, that's a really good place to start. How does he treat his family? Does he love and respect them? Does he love and respect his siblings? Now, every sibling fights, you know, we all, we all do that. I'm not saying he's perfectly interacting with them, but does he love the people closest to him? Okay. Does he love them? How about this? How does he treat his friends? Does he honestly care about the people? Young man, do you care about your friends enough to say, hey, how are you doing really? How's your Bible reading going? How can I pray for you? What's going on in your life, brother? What can I do for you to encourage your walk in holiness? How does he care for the church? Young man, do you care about protecting God's church? Do you care about serving God's church? Just think about it. Jesus says he's willing to die for her. He's, uh, the church is precious in Jesus' sight. Is the church precious in your sight? This is love. This is love, okay? This is the way that we practice loving others well. I saw a news report the, uh, the other day uh, about, I think it was NBC, and they were doing this thing on Ladera Ranch. I'm like, oh, Ladera Ranch, what's happening there? So I watched the news, uh, the news broadcast, and apparently there's this new couple that's moved into Ladera, uh, and they're this Asian couple. And so the, the issue was that people uh, your age are ding-dong ditching them at all hours of the night. At first, I think they were maybe a bit amused, uh, but it, uh, I guess these young people are yelling inappropriate phrases about their ethnicity. 
And so now all of Ladera has gathered around this family and they're going to do, you know, neighborhood watch so that no one is able to come by and, and wake them up at all hours of the night. And I thought, how, 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 A, immature and silly, but B, a young godly man would not do that. A man who loved Christ would not do that because a young man who loves Christ also loves his neighbors. Yeah, maybe once or twice you ding dong, it gets funny. It's funny every now and then. I've done it even this week to Ryan D'Amato, but other than that, like it's funny a little bit, okay? But everyone knows, and a godly man knows, that there is a line to that you don't cross. Yelling ethnic slurs as you ding-dong dish obviously crosses the line. A godly young man would not do that. And if a godly young man knew who those people were, would strongly discourage that at the least. And perhaps there's a few other steps he might include. How do you identify the, the, the young man who is practicing Christ-like character? Well, he loves others, and he works hard at that. How you doing, young man? Are you working hard at loving the people around you? I'm telling the ladies around you to identify your character based on that. This is one of the marks of maturity. Love is intangible. And I know all of you know the answer. Like, oh, yeah, your God, the kids should love, you know, should love people. You all know that. But do you live that? That's a very different story. And again, the bar is high. The bar is Jesus. The bar is love her like Jesus loves a church. And there's so many other love one another's in the scriptures that you, you don't need a girlfriend for this, right? You need to practice this now so that you're ready when the time does come. How do you identify this young man who practices Christ-like character? Well, first, he works hard at loving people well. Secondly, he serves even when no one asks. Jesus went and stepped in to serve, and that's exactly what he does. He, he redemptively serves the church. He's willing to give up himself in order to love her. Jesus assumed the role of service, and he's not embarrassed by that. It was the will of the Father, and he was glad to be crushed for their sake, our sake. Jot this down. Don't have time to go, but jot, jot down John 13, 1 through 15. John 13, 1 through 15. If you know your Bible, you know this is the scene where Jesus takes off his outer garment, wraps a towel around his waist, and he walks around and he washes the feet of 12 dirty men, one of whom would betray him. On top of that, John 13, he washes the feet that he created. He's washing feet that he created. Jesus is the creator. He's the one by whom all creation exists. He's washing their dirty feet. The highest ruler of the world takes on the lowest position of that same world. He does this as an expression. He says, what I've done to you, you also to do one, are now to do to one another, to serve. Paul would later say, echoing this passage, he says, outdo one another in showing honor. Jesus sets the pace in, in service to others. The young man who is practicing Christ-like character is eager to serve, whether or not there's an audience. He's eager to exercise his God-given gifts in service to others without drawing attention to himself. He's the kind of young man who's going around the table and picking up people's plates and cleaning up the table, and the leader now has to say, hey, can you go around and pick up the plates, Johnny? Like, no, he just does it. And he's not doing it, drawing attention to himself. Like, look, guys, I'm, I'm so humble. Check me out. Like, let me pick up your plate. He's, he's doing it nonchalantly because he loves his Lord. And again, going back to the first thing, he loves his friends. He loves his leaders. And so he does these small things as an act of service to them. He does more than that, of course. He also considers the way that he might uh, serve, the, serve in other places, again, where no one's going to see it. He might stack chairs. He, he might, he, here's one thing I know he does. He prays for his friends. When people say things in small group, he's writing it down and he's praying for them later. 
because that's a way to serve them. He knows that's how he can care for them. What does a young man look like who practices Christ-like character? He works hard at loving people well. He serves even when no one asks. And number three, this is an interesting one. Um, there's a section here where Paul says, uh, the, young, the, the husband loves his wife as his own body. I told you earlier, you know, you're hungry, you, you feed yourself. You're thirsty, you, you give yourself something to drink. As a husband and a wife, that makes sense. You know, a man has, has that time to grow and to mature and to kind of reach a stage where it makes sense. That makes sense to him. But I made an observation that I think might be helpful. The scripture assumes a certain kind of guy. In high school ministry, I think we might have some space to grow here, okay? Young men, sometimes you don't do a good job in doing the obvious thing, you know? Uh, uh, the self-preservation, the natural care and concern for your body that you should have sometimes is absent and lacking, you might not have enough deodorant on, or you might not take a shower for a day or two. You might not wash your laundry for weeks at a time and just kind of recycle the clothes. You know? I speak from experience, not in everything, but I speak from some experience. I know what it's like to be a guy. I am one, and I was in high school. So I know some of these things. And yet, what I'm trying to encourage you with is that for a young lady who's looking to identify a potential boyfriend, you should be the kind of young man who exercises, and here's what I put it as, he exercises self-discipline. Okay? He loves, he works hard at loving others. He serves when no one asks. He exercises self-discipline. He carries himself in such a way where he has obvious care and concern for the things that God wants him to care for. For instance, your homework. Uh, you do your homework. You care about doing well in school, not because you care about the GPA necessarily, although that's nice, but you care about God's opinion of you. you care about people, uh, uh, people's opinion about you because they know you're a Christian. Uh, you might have a job because it increases your responsibility. You take care uh, at pre uh, presenting yourself well. Uh, meaning you don't wear clothes that are dirty. You, you do things that are obvious, obviously caring for your body. And here's my point in this. If, if you don't have an obvious natural care and concern for your present self, like you're not gonna do a good job caring for somebody else. Um, and that's, this is what Paul draws on. Uh, husband, love your wife as you love yourself. In other words, I assume you know how to take care of yourself, therefore take care of her in the same way. Young man, if you don't have this figured out now, now's the time to practice that. Now's the time to practice that. Your dad probably tells you, hey, son, go wash your hair, go brush your teeth or whatever. Uh, learn to begin to do this yourself and even increase in self-discipline, not just the bare essentials, but going above and beyond, memorizing scripture, reading books that are gonna stoke your interest about how to better love other people, I mean, anything like that, okay? Exercise of self-discipline. Young men in the wild, and, and I know this as a fact because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a naturalist expert. I watch a lot of National Geographic. In the wild, the most attractive birds are the males. True story. The males have the big, beautiful feathers, and in fact, it's the males who do those strange dances. The mating dances, they're trying to attract a female, and they do those weird dances, and their feathers are floofy. I don't know if that's the right word, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Fluffy. <laughs> Fluffy. I don't know. They're spread out. Spread out. Young men, these are your attractive feathers. <laughs> For the boring females, these are the feathers that are going to attract them to you. Loving others, serving others well, and, and even being a man of self-discipline, which is one of the fruit of the Spirit, by the way. These are the feathers that you put on display, or don't. These are the things that are going to attract the kind of woman that you should aim to pursue and marry. Females will see your feathers and be like, man, look at his feathers. <laughs> Whew. Got that fruit of the Spirit. Ooh, she'll be wooed. 
Verses 31 and 32 wrap up Paul's message, but don't miss it. It's one of the most important pieces of the puzzle, Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. He just got done saying in verse 30, he says that you are, uh, we are members of the body, okay? Uh, Christ cares about the church because we're members of the body. Now, verse 31, he says this, therefore, because we're members of the body, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's quoting Genesis 2.24. This is the creation uh, of marriage, the institution of marriage. And then in verse 32, here we go. He says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What mystery is he talking about? He's talking about the two becoming one, being one flesh. That mystery is pointing to a more profound, glorious reality that refers to Christ and his church. In other words, the institution of marriage is a picture, a symbol of Christ's relationship to the church. We're members of the body of Christ. We're one, one flesh with him. And therefore, he has a great concern and care for the church. So he says, ultimately, marriage is pointing to Jesus. Marriage points to God's glory. Marriage is something that isn't just the institution itself. It's great, it's awesome, it's flourishing and all that, but it ultimately points to the glory of Jesus. Everything in life points back to Jesus and his glory. That's essentially it. This, this nonsense today that live your purpose, live your truth, now live your most authentic self. It's so ironic because in telling you to do that, you're doing the opposite. Your most authentic self and your highest truth is that you were made by God and living, uh, and living for his glory is the highest purpose of your life. That is your truth. <laughs> your truth. That is the truth, objectively. Ultimately, everything points to Christ. Point number three, when you think about the kind of person you should be with, the kind of person you should pursue, you need to find someone who helps you love Christ better. Really is it. We're not done with our dating series. We're going to talk more about this. But when it comes down to it, when you're looking for somebody, you want to find someone who helps you love Christ better. Someone who's going to spur you on to godly maturity. I saw this documentary about this husband and wife who scammed the Who Wants to Be a Millionaire show. They did it in the UK. It was Chip Ingram, Charles Ingram. He devised a plan with his wife and this third party. While in the hot seat, as the guy read the questions, whenever Chip, Charles Ingram, read the right answer, the third party would, <coughs> simple, right? Super obvious, super obvious. You know, as he makes his way through the, who wants to be a millionaire? <clears throat> his wife keeps looking at that third party. As, she, as the guy is coughing to give Charles the right answer. And as the documentary is unveiling this process, it's like it's so obvious, it's so stupid. Their love for money blinded them to the obvious reality. You were gonna get caught. Like it's not even, like it's subtle enough. Like, okay, maybe people are coughing, but it's coughing after every time he says the right answer. It's a terrible situation. But here's the thing. It was their love for money, their mutual care and concern for the value of money that led them to do something so silly and foolish. Their love for money blinded them. It's their mutual love for something that was so sinister and so sick that it blinded them to that very reality. Here, here's the thing. The one thing, you want to know what makes relationships work? 
It is this, love for Jesus. That's the secret, folks. That's it. You love for, so okay, think about it. Paul says, hey, your relationship with each other is pointing to the church. It's pointing to Christ. This is all about Jesus. If you can remember that in your relationships, you're gonna do so much better than your peers because you will remember that your relationship, whoever it's with, is about glorifying Jesus. Do they cause you to love Jesus more? Great, because we love each other best when we love Christ most. We love each other best when we love Christ most. This is our call. Don't love money together. Don't love greed. Love Christ best. Love Christ most, you'll love each other best. This is the oil in the engine of relationships. Love for Christ. It's what the Holy Spirit produces in us. Find someone who helps you love Christ better. People will, your boyfriend, girlfriend will help you love Christ better in two ways. Okay, these will be quick, two ways. First, someone who helps you love Christ better will help you by not making you their primary concern. What I mean by this is that, you know, some people get fascinated and fixated and uh, infatuated with their significant other, their SO. They think about them all the time. There's pictures all over their phone of that person. There's the screensaver. It's the wallpaper. You know, they make up custom shoes with their face on on the front of it. Like, they just get too focused on that other person. And naturally, that's what we tend to do as people, right? We're looking for a savior. All of us are looking for a savior. Make no mistake. You just think, though, in that moment that that person is your savior. You're my savior. I want to be with you because you make me happy. In fact, that's what movies do, right? Oh, you make me so happy. You complete me. You make, my, you make everything better. I can see more colors. I can hear more sounds. I can smell more things. Like, you make me better. You, you complete me. Your boyfriend or girlfriend is not a good savior. Only Jesus is. Someone who helps you love better, first of all, helps you by not making you their primary concern. Conversely, they help you love Christ better by encouraging your pursuit of Christ. Simple as that. This person on both ends of the spectrum here, the guys and the girls, you could tell who this person is. Their life, their words, their actions, you can tell who this person is. You can already, in your mind, you're already thinking about people in the room here that fit that description, right? This person is so easy to identify. It's like a junior hire who just discovered the Axe body spray. Like you could smell them coming from across the room, right? <laughs> there goes the narrow again, you know. This person is also so obvious because their love for Christ is real. It's genuine. It's not, it's not affectation. They're not just putting on airs. This is who they are. Their life reeks with love for Christ. That's the kind of person you should find because they're gonna encourage your pursuit of Christ. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's it, guys. That's the secret. It's a starting place. That's the foundation. I know there's so many unanswered questions you're thinking about, like, well, what about this? What about that? What if I'm not a Christian? The answer for you is quite simple. The relationship you should concern yourself with most right now is your relationship with King Jesus. See, the reason Christians are even so excited about Jesus and the gospel is because what Jesus has done for us. I mean, just think about it. As Paul's giving us instructions for how to interact with the husband and wife, he's not saying, hey, buck up, do your job, stop acting like an idiot, woman, submit, man, go do your thing. No, Paul points back to the ultimate reality that shapes and forms all of us. He says, think about what Jesus has done for you, who died on the cross in your place. He died that he might sanctify the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. He does this for your benefit. This is Jesus doing it because he loves you. Jesus is willing to die on the cross to take your sin upon his shoulders in order that you might live. This is the gospel in short summary. 
If you're a non-Christian tonight, if this is not you, this, if you don't believe that, I would encourage you. Look, the relationship advice is helpful, I'm sure, to some degree, but your biggest thing right now, your biggest relationship advice is get right with King Jesus. Finally, bow the knee. What are you waiting for? What are you, are you waiting until your deathbed? Don't play that card because you don't know when that is. Skip Smith now knows that. Like, he didn't know he was gonna be in an ICU bed unconscious. And I hate pulling out this card, you, you, but I do it often because you need to remember, you're young and you're healthy and strong, but that you can't take that for granted. You're young, healthy, and strong for now. You don't know how long that lasts. The one relationship you should care most about is your relationship with King Jesus. Get that right, young person. Put Jesus first. He's worth it. He's worthy. Some of you guys get my birthday cards. You'll eventually get my birthday card. One of the things I love putting in my birthday card is he is worthy. I want to remind you of that. And your, some of your best years of energy and strength, he is worthy. Is there any sacrifice not worth giving to Christ? Is there any sacrifice that you'd be willing to say, I'm going to hold that back because Jesus is just stingy. I don't like Jesus. Jesus is far more generous than you can even imagine. He is worthy. You are looking for a relationship, though. Your relationship goals should echo marital roles. It's not exactly the same. There's an echo. Your relationship goals should echo marital roles. I look forward to hearing about some of your conversations tonight. Let's pray as we prepare for small groups. 